Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise make a dead man walk again. as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and 
I am the bread of life. Good morning, welcome to 1C. Would you please rise for our first song?
morning and welcome to worship. You may have a seat. Um, we are excited to be gathered together to worship God. Um, if you are a guest with us, we are so glad that you have joined us. Um, love to have a chance to meet you and give, a, give you a welcome gift. So if you'd like to stop by Next Steps on your way out as you leave, love to have a chance to meet you and give you that welcome gift. You can also text 1CGUEST to 94000. Um, a little bit later in worship, we are going to be um, praying. And if you have a prayer request that you would like to have included in, those, in that time of prayer, you can text those prayers in to 402-242-5051. You can also fill out a paper form, a prayer request card that are located out in the family gathering space uh, before you enter into the worship center. Um, also, a little bit later, we are going to be celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper, and here at Wednesday, we believe that communion is a gift that God gives us. It's bread and wine or juice, but it's also the body and blood of Jesus given, for, given to us for the forgiveness of sins. If you have not gotten your communion elements and you would love to, to join us in that, you can pick those up out in the family gathering space um, at the kitchen window. Uh, maybe during the next song would be a good time to do that. A couple other brief announcements. If you are wondering what our summer blast uh, summer camp is going to be like, you can come to an open house Sunday, March 21st from 1230 to 230 p.m. It'll be a, a great time to kind of get a sneak peek of what this fun summer camp is going to be like. And also, if you would like to party like Jesus, who wouldn't? I mean, Jesus all the time spent time around meals. His first miracle was turning water into wine at the wedding feast. Jesus loved to build relationships and, and get to know people around food. We're going to have an eight-week experience starting after Easter on Wednesday evenings. I'll provide a brief um, video teaching over Zoom as you gather with friends and family in your home to have snacks, to have fun conversation as we uh, grow together in that. Um, also, today is the last day for t-shirt sales. Those are available in the family gathering space as well. I don't want to be afraid every time I face a wave. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid. And I don't want to fear the storm just because I hear it roar. I don't want to fear the storm. No, I don't want to fear the storm. Storm. No, I'm not gonna. Th- 
marshmallow man with me this morning. I've got a nice full-size big one here and a little mini one out of mini marshmallows. And this big one represents God. And the Bible tells us that God is love. And you know what? I love marshmallows. I don't know about you, but especially toasted over a campfire in between some graham crackers with some chocolate, making s'mores. That's really good. And don't forget chocolate. That's right. Um, and then this little one represents us. Um, you know, we're created in the image of God, but we're not nearly as big or holy and important as God, right? Um, and these little marshmallows are good, but I would never bother to try to toast one of these little ones over the campfire or make a s'more out of one. But you know what? Maybe a handful of them in some hot cocoa, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? They get kind of melted and get this gooey marshmallow layer on your hot cocoa. That is good. You know what? I think I can make one of these mini marshmallow men bigger than this one. Make it a lot bigger and actually maybe even make it as big as this God-sized marshmallow man. Watch this video and see what happens.
it definitely got bigger, didn't it, boys and girls? That little marshmallow man grew and puffed up a lot bigger than this one, and it maybe even got as big as this one. But do you see what happened? It didn't turn out very well. When I opened the microwave door, immediately that big puffed up marshmallow, uh, the marshmallow man started to deflate and shrink and flatten out. It got kind of gross. And then as it cooled, it got hard and crispy. Well, I definitely wouldn't want to eat that. I don't think you could toast it over a fire, and I definitely wouldn't drop that in some hot cocoa. Well, did you know that the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love does not boast, love is not proud, love is humble. So being prideful or boasting is kind of like trying to puff ourselves up and make ourselves bigger than the person next to us, maybe trying to make them feel smaller or less than, maybe even trying to puff ourselves up big enough that we think we're big and important like God. But love doesn't do that. Love is humble. And so as you interact with people around you, remember that God has created each and every one of you unique in his image, but with special gifts and abilities and talents, and that God wants to love other people through you as you are the way that God created you to be. So remember that God created you special and important, and we don't want to puff ourselves up and try to be something that we're not because we're already special, created in the image of God, and we don't want to put people down or make them feel less than. But just be who God created you to be as we love the people around us. Will you pray with me? You can repeat after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us in your image. And making us special in your eyes. Help us to share your love with others. Amen. I'm not a warrior. I'm too afraid to lose. Qualified for what you're calling me to do. Lord, with your strength, I've got no excuse. Cause broken people are exactly who you use. So give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like David. Jesus, Jesus, I'm gonna sing, shout, shout, shout.
idea of love is humble. Part of that, being humble, is knowing who God is, how holy and majestic he is, and also who we are, limited, sinful human beings. So as we gather to worship this great and mighty God, we worship in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And as we think about who we are, sinners in needs of God's grace, we know that we can go to our Heavenly Father, who is love, who is forgiving, and we can confess our sins to him. So would you join me as we pray these words together? Heavenly Father, your desire is to bless your children here on this earth and for eternity. In your word, you show me how by your grace and mercy, I have received one blessing on top of another. Lord, I confess that my sins have caused me to miss out on your blessings. My sin of selfishness, Laziness and rebellion has separated me from you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, show me how I sin and redeem me of your love that you have expressed through the sending of your Son, Jesus. May the good news of his suffering, death, and resurrection empower me to live as a Jewish child. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we know that God is love. And through faith in Jesus, his perfect work on the cross, his death, his resurrection from the grave, we are forgiven and set free. Thank 
mentioned something very significant that the Lord's Supper um, brings, us, brings us into the presence of Christ, but Christ is present with us when we share this meal together. And he is with us and we are with one another in this sense that we share this corporately. And I've heard it said that Sunday morning is in a way kind of a rehearsal for what's coming during the week. That what we practice in here in our our rituals, our traditions, um, as we interact with one another, that gets us ready to move into the next week. And this part of the service is really critical in that because we need to remember what this represents. And I love it in the Lutheran tradition. They use the language like this, that in this meal, Jesus is present in, with, and under. The juice, the wine, or the, and the bread. It's a beautiful image of just how close he is to you and I when we come together to share this meal. So if you'll permit me, I would like to share the words of institution, and then we will take the Lord's Supper together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May the peace of the Lord rest upon you. So if you would, let's open up the side with the bread. And as we take that, just a reminder of what this is. It is the body of Jesus broken for you and I. Likewise, open the side that contains the juice or the wine, and remember that this is the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us. And now, may this true body and blood of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, may it strengthen you and preserve you in all of your days. 
keep you in his marvelous peace. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you that you hear us and you are with us no matter where we are. Father, we pray for those who don't, uh, who don't know you, who don't have a church home. Help them to understand that you are the greatest gift that we are and that you love us and help us to love you back. Prayers for those that are sick this morning. Prayers of comfort and peace for the Adamy family. Prayer, Lord, that you just be with me and help me make decisions that are pleasing to you. Help me to live your plan with no worry. Father, we just ask you to just uh, free us of the, the fear that holds us back and, and won't let us go forward. Just give us the peace and the courage and to walk with you walk with you, Father, in all that we do. Join me as we say the Lord's prayer that he taught us this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, and now for a moment of levity while you watch me open my laptop with one hand. <laughs> oh, and raise it up here for the little ID touch. Okay, I think I have all the parts in place now. Once again, good morning and welcome to Welcome to church. Welcome to a time of fellowship with one another. I'm going to try to keep this message into a reasonable amount of time because at the end of it, I have a, a brief time I want to do with interviewing one of the people who represents a mission that we're going to support here in Columbus. So what I would like to share with you this morning are four habits of humility because that's where we are in this Love Matters message, and it's on both walls, love is humble. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. So four habits of humility, these will be four practices, and as we go through each one, kind of, if you can, hold this in your mind, that be thinking about, well, how does this practice, how does this draw me into a deeper understanding of what love, of how love is humble? And how do I practice it? What does it mean for me? So let's do the first one. Practice giving preference to others. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. There is love 
is humble personified and what Jesus did. So throughout each of these practices, I've got just a couple of questions to kind of help us um, make it personal, you know, bring it into an application of our life. And the first question is, why should I do this? So in a moment here, let's consider, well, okay, so why should I practice giving preference to others? And then the second question that we'll use under each practice is, what if I choose to ignore this particular practice? What happens? So let's start with our first one, okay? Practice giving preference to others. Why should I do this? Why should I rather not just kind of come inward and hold on to my stuff and not be too concerned about preference to others? Here's a, here's a, I think a reason that was embedded in the, in the passage in Philippians that we just read. Because when we conduct our lives with this attitude of loving humbly like Jesus loved, there's, there's life that comes out of that. And it's, it's life in us as we do that because we're a recipients of what those kind of practices do internally. And it certainly is life for the person that's in our path at any given moment. We're loving humbly that individual. This is happening. That this practice is life-giving. And this practice is life-sustaining. And this practice is life-promoting. And there's a reason for why I want to practice giving preference to others. It gives life, it sustains life, it promotes life. So what if I choose to ignore giving preference to others? What if I say, "Uh, that's not in my wheelhouse, you know, I I don't know. I don't think I want to go down that road. What happens then? I I thought a lot about this. I thought through across, you know, the decades of my own life and, you know, where this was me. And it's certainly been me at at different times. And, you know, what, what was that like? What did I experience? So I just came up with an idea or two, and maybe this will prompt some thinking in your own life. What if I choose to ignore giving preference to others? What happens? Here's one thing that could happen. We shrink. We shrink into ourselves. We grow small. We grow petty. And our hearts are just pursuing strategies that are only designed to protect what's mine. And we lose, we lose the ability to hear those around us, the, the laments, the suffering. We lose the ability to respond with the love of Christ when we ignore giving preference to others. There's a second practice. Practice listening to correction or spiritual instruction. I'm going to anchor that in this uh, passage out of Proverbs 15.32. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Just ask your six-year-old. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Don't you just love Proverbs for getting right to the heart of things? 
So let's run that through the grid of our, of our question. So why should I do this? Why should I practice this instruction in, in Proverbs 15.32? Well, yeah, yeah. There's, I found the answer in, in, in another proverb, which is not, we didn't create a slide for this, but here it is. It's Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. So there's some phrases in there that caught my attention. Fruit of their way, fill of their own devices. Those things are not always desirable in my life. Mm, the fruit of my way is sometimes pretty rotten fruit. And the fill of my own devices, you know, that kind of reminds me of, I, I heard a, a Christian counselor say years ago, how's come when I get what I want, it's not what I want? That's what that's like. I'm filled up with my own devices, and it's never enough. And I don't want that in my life. That is a possible outcome of rejecting instruction. So what if I choose to ignore listening to instruction? What happens? You choose, just ignore it. I've got a couple of examples to share with you. The first one is... Pretty light duty, if you will. Comes out of my, of my youth. I, when I was probably in middle school, and my dad would come home from work. He'd change out of his sports coat and his tie and his office stuff, and he'd get into his garage clothes. And there was usually an invitation to join him in the garage because my dad was a fairly competent woodworker, and he had all the tools that went with that particular uh, craft. And somewhere along the way, he thought it was important that his sons, um, my brother and I, learn how to cut a straight line. This did not seem earth-shattering to me at the time. But Dad thought it was important. That if, you, if you're running a handsaw or power saw, you need to understand the concept of kerf. Now, if you're out there right now and you've sawn some lumber and built a house or a barn, you know all about kerf. That when you cut a board, you need to take into account the width of the saw blade and its teeth, because that's taking out material. So there, thanks, Dad. Yeah, can I have some M&Ms now? So there's just there's this teaching, okay? This simple instruction, father to son ins instruction, but it had a point. It was important because Dad wanted me to understand that if you ignore this instruction, when you make these kinds of cuts, precision is lost. And things don't necessarily fit together in a nice, clean way. Important instruction, yes, not necessarily spiritually weighty. So let's look at something that has a little more spiritual weight to it. And this is a passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It, it, it's a snapshot of King Zedekiah. So hang with me here for a second while I read this. It's not terribly long, but it is pretty important. So we got Randy in the garage with his dad, learning about kerf and cutting straight lines. And now I want to offer you something from the Old Testament, King Zedekiah. And God had something to say about this guy. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. But Zedekiah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused 
to humble himself when the prophet Jeremiah spoke to him directly from the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, even though he had taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. Here it is. Here's the meats and potatoes of this. Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. Likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. Did you, did you get that? God repeatedly sent prophets to warn them. It's like, man, it's, it's this great big listen up, will you? And then here's verse 16. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. And you take this breath and you spill over to the next section and the first verse in, in, in verse 17 is, so the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. It seems like a really, really bad idea to just be a person who continually over and over and over refuses the instruction of the Lord, this spiritual formation, spiritual correction. It's, it, it strikes me as serious business when we hitch our wagons to God's instruction. A good thing to do. Third practice is the practice of the confession of sins. A couple passages on that. One is Proverbs 28, verse 13, which says... And this is in the message version, so this, this language is, is nice. You know, it helps give a picture. You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. Oh, you find mercy by admitting and leaving them. The classic passage in James 5.16, make this your common practice. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Would you not agree that those are just rich in solid counsel for moving through our days? This is how we ought to, ought to be with one another. Okay? Practice confession of sins. First question, why should I do this? Well, there's a big reason. God tells us it's necessary. Okay? We could stop right there. God calls for it. So there's an obedience factor in here that's a really, really big reason. I would, I would offer this, that it's also necessary for my relationship with God in this way. Confession, confession keeps me in sync with God's activity in my life. It keeps me anchored to him rather than pushing and pushing and pushing him away to the margins. And it makes me just kind of think about questions like this. And maybe you've had a question like this. How does, how does confession benefit my mind and my heart and my soul? How is it good for those parts of me? Take it to the dinner table with you. 
What if I choose to ignore the practice of confessing my sins? What happens? Psalm 32, 1-5 is a great passage on that. When I refused to confess my sins, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. This is a physical depiction of the body losing vitality. It's wasting away. It's, it's, it's not a groaning that results from a momentary affliction or discomfort. It's a groaning that has a stretch that goes on and on and on all day and all night. And then the Lord's discipline comes in upon top of that. And then my strength is evaporated like water in the summer heat. Many of us know what, you know what it's like to work outdoors in the summer. And all of a sudden you just feel like, I got nothing left. I'm drained, loss of vitality. When I refuse to confess my sins, I lose vitality. Certainly physically, as this is pointed out. But I think we can make a case for spiritually as well. And there's one more verse about this, Isaiah 57, 20 to 21. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. I love this picture. The restless sea churning, stirring up mud and dirt. This is a picture of just this unsettled turbulence. This repeating cycle of choosing to not take care of my sin only results in this kind of imagery. I, I just, my heart doesn't know a state of rest. My heart just knows this churning. There's no peace. Confession of sin, critical. The fourth practice, practice surrender to God. Love this passage in Micah 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord? Okay? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Those, those portraits of this exceeding abundance, what shall I bring before the Lord? Oh, I know. Burnt offerings with, you know, unblemished calves that are a year old. And, and is he going to be pleased with, if I show up with thousands of rams and, and gallons and gallons of oil? And even top it off, shall I, shall I give him my firstborn for my transgression? I think, you know, the, the passage doesn't indicate that that's what God's looking for here. Okay, what's he looking for? He's told you. Oh man, what is good? And there it is. That's the practice of surrender to God. So, the question, why should I do this? Why should I engage in this practice of surrendering to God? 
you can probably come up with some, some thoughts. You might be having a few right now. Here's mine. Surrender positions all, all caps. Surrender positions all of my life before God. Surrender recalibrates my thinking and my behavior. It moves me from a place of, I need to really, really look out for myself. I got to be careful here. It moves me from that to this focus of being instructed in the ways of doing justice and loving kindness and walking in humbleness with God. It's a, it's a shift in focus from me to the kingdom to serving others. And what if I choose to ignore the practice of surrender to God? What happens then? Well, think about Saul um, in the first uh, and second Samuel, particularly. Um, Saul was a guy who had lots of opportunity, was given a bunch, and, but he had this character flaw. Who doesn't have a character flaw? I, my list is long, so I'm not dissing on Saul. Saul had, he, his, one of his was this repeated refusals to do things God's way. And man, this guy had upfront clear instruction from Samuel. Samuel talked to God. Samuel talked to Saul. It's got to be done this way, Saul. You can track his, his times and say, uh, yeah, that's nice, but I'm kind of going this way. And you know the outcome of this story. God finally said, well, that's enough of that. And he took the kingdom and he gave it to David. And Saul's pretty much out of the picture after that. So there's, there's Saul. What, what else happens if I choose to ignore the practice of God? I'd like to suggest four quick things. And these are, these are all around the question of, if we refuse this practice, what does it do to the heart? What is formed? What is formed in the heart that refuses to surrender to God? Well... Pride might be one. Pride being this over-the-top, highly exaggerated view that I have of myself. Arrogance might be a second one. Arrogance being an attitude of superiority. Discontent might be one, being formed in my heart. Never satisfied with all that God has deposited in my life. Never satisfied. Always discontent. And a close brother to discontent, malcontent, this bitter and almost this choking with self-pity. These are possible outcomes of, a, of the formation of a heart when we refuse to surrender to God. Quick review, four practices that lend themselves to loving with humility those who God places in our path. Practice giving presence, preference to others. Practice listening to correction or spiritual instruction. Practice confession of sins. And practice surrender to God. All of these things are following us into, we're in a wonderful season in the church year. Um, the middle of the season called Lent. And it's a time of year when we are contemplating the passion, the love, the humility of Jesus, the ultimate example of humility is Jesus. 
When you think about what he said yes to and what he willingly and lovingly did, he made his way to Jerusalem. He said yes to the sham of a, of a trial that was marked by brutality. He said yes to Golgotha, yes to the cross, yes to the tomb. In all of that, the, his divine power was laid down. He made the decision not to use those rights. And that's important. It's important to realize that nobody took Jesus' life. Pilate didn't take Jesus' life. Pharisees didn't do it. Sadducees didn't do it. You know, the craziness of a mob attitude. They didn't take Jesus' life. He laid it down because he knew payment had to be made. And this is a kind of humility that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. He knows who he is and what he came to do. He is the Christ. He is crucified. He is risen for the forgiveness of sins. I'm inviting up to the stage my friend Katie. Katie is with um, Youth and Families for Christ. And I've asked her to come because this is a, this is a mission that we're going to support uh, locally as we think about our challenge and how do we want to be involved locally and across the state and across the nation and across the country? And so Katie's going to give us a brief snapshot of what that looks like. And Katie, if I can jumpstart this by asking you this question, okay? A typical day has certain elements in it, yeah? And if you can kind of segue from that into, and just how can this, this lovely group of people called One See the Church partner with Youth and Family for Christ? Perfect. Good morning. Uh, thanks for allowing us to come and for partnering with us. A uh, typical day at YFFC is really not typical. It's organized chaos all the time when you work with youth, um, but we love it. Uh, we spend um, all of our days and nights working with kids who are sent to us. They're sent by probation, by diversion. They come for stress and anger management classes. They come to us through community service. They come to us through our out-of-school suspension program. They're referred by teachers and counselors to our small groups because of issues they're facing at home or in school. Uh, they participate in our bullying classes, our abstinent classes that we teach at the schools. They participate or are sent to our programs that deal with drug and alcohol abuse and prevention. But all of the kids are sent to us, um, and maybe they're sent to us through the after-school program. We volunteer with the middle school's after-school program twice a week, uh, throwing dodgeballs at kids and playing Nerf, and, uh, which is awesome. It's a lot of fun. Or maybe they're sent to our building because they just need somewhere to go after school or at night because their parents work, or maybe they just don't have a home where they feel comfortable or where they're not even fed. And so our building is open from nine in the morning till about nine o'clock at night, and there are programs and things happening every minute of that time frame. And what we do is we get to know the kids, we build relationships with them, we learn their personal stories, their history, and then their stories, we connect to our stories and we share our lives with them. And then 
then ultimately what we do is we connect their story and our story to God's story. It's called three-story evangelism, and it's how we get to know the kids. We can get busy doing uh, lots of great things. We do cooking classes, and we do uh, art classes, and we do all those other things that I mentioned earlier, but none of it really matters in the eternity of things if we're not sharing Christ. And so that's what we're about, uh, is meeting these kids where they're at, getting to know them, love them, and uh, sharing Jesus with them. And then Jesus never leaves them where they're at. He will take them further. How can the church partner with us? There's lots of awesome ways. uh, 1C is great at community outreach. I know there are so many different kids who walk through these doors of this building who maybe not, might not necessarily feel comfortable in a church. And that's what's true for us is we offer a place where kids can come where they might not walk into a church. And so being able to partner with you guys through prayer, uh, we do Bible studies at Madison Detention Center. And every kid that walks through our doors at Madison Detention Center, we give them this Bible. It's a new believer's Bible. Whether they're there for one week or they're there for a year, we want to make sure they leave with a Bible in their hand. And so providing Bibles, maybe you feel called to volunteer and lead a Bible study at Madison through YFC. We would love that. Um, Like I said, we do cooking classes and exercise classes and art classes. Maybe you are an awesome chef and God wants to use your abilities to teach these kids who haven't learned how to cook. Um, how to cook at our facility, or maybe you're into art. Uh, Maybe you're not into any of that, but you have a heart for kids, and you want to buy a gift card to Hobby Lobby, so we'll buy art supplies because you can't draw. I can't draw. So um, there's just so many different ways that you can get connected and volunteer, uh, help lead small groups, be involved in our night programs. All All we do is simply just spend time getting to know kids and to love them, and to share Jesus. And so anybody in this building could, could certainly do that. There's nobody here who can't, and there's nobody here who's not equipped to do that because we all can. Good. Thank you for that. And so you've heard that, and make that a part of your prayer life, if you would, how to maybe lean in to this local mission. And it's, it's all part of the bigger context that we're in this time of a, a giving challenge, and you, you've heard it plenty already, uh, matching dollars. And uh, this is one of the places we would like to, to partner with. So over time, we'll know what kind of money becomes available. We'll keep you informed of that. But please keep Youth and Families for Christ in your prayers, Katie and her staff. Let me pray for them right now and then just close with the blessing. Lord Jesus, a, a word of thanks that Youth and Families for Christ is here, right downtown, willing to step into the lives of young people in a variety of capacities and what, what they're facing. But always with this, with this central truth that Jesus is available and capable, he is ready, willing, and able to take any young person from where they are to where he really sees them to be. Will you give strength and wisdom to Katie and to those that she works with? Bless this organization. Help us as a church to understand and see what is our part We are listening. Please speak to us. And now the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his unending peace. Amen.
Would you stand and worship with us? Let's sing.
you, and behind you, and beside you, all around.